saw the fruit of the school and what we were doing with young creatives and said, literally on the phone, I had never met them. Like, we want to give you $3 million. If you will raise $3 million, we will match it dollar for dollar and you can buy and renovate this building downtown, which was my favorite mid-century modern, very cool concrete triangle building. I was all in. I had no idea how to actually raise the $3 million, you know, but we began <laughs> raising $50 from my 11-year-old son. He was the first donor. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today we've got Ken Stortz. Dr. Ken Stortz is in the house. Ken Stortz is a longtime friend, and Ken's good to have you here at Mid-South Viewpoint. It's been a while. Last time we got together, I was at your office, and we yes. were hanging out, and that's been several years ago. Yep, been too long. And I've been wanting to get with you and get an update on what's happening at Visible Music College. It's an incredible story, and we want to unfold and, and share about how God's led you through this work, the amazing things that's happening uh, downtown Memphis yeah. in its home. But there's also homes in other areas, too. You've got, what, a Dallas location? Is Chicago on the list, too? Yes. California and Florida, Kansas City, <laughs> Pennsylvania, and online. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. it's really taken off. Right. I think you've added a couple more campuses since the last time we got together. But the most important thing is, how's Joy doing? Joy is fantastic. My wife of 26 years this week. Um, Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a good journey together. She's a social worker here in Memphis and serves people and, and does a lot of great uh, service in the city. And we have a great time living in Midtown. And, just, and you got... Yeah. Two sons. Two sons that are in their 20s, both musicians, playing with bands here in town and doing original music and in college and trying to figure out their next step and all working and doing well. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's neat to see when you, when you see your kids engaging and moving on with life, you know? Yes. You think about the investment, you know, that you put into their lives. I think there's 7,000 days from uh, crib until college, that's what I've been uh, told, okay. that we actually have to invest in our kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. So this is what I've done with my 7,000 days. Uh, right, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we, what have you learned about fatherhood looking back? Well, that I was terrible. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no, Just no. like everybody else. Um, I think um, it's been a blessing the last year and a half with uh, the pandemic. My youngest was just in college a year and a half, and he came home. So it's been sort of some redeemed extra, extra thousand days in the last 500. Um, it's uh, interesting. <laughs> You know, I think uh, about fatherhood, it's mostly, in the end, joy was right. It's about letting them know for a fact that we love the Lord, love one another, and love them. Yeah. And and that just continually pays off here into their mid-20s. Yeah. I think the word says you train up a child in the way they should go, and then, of course, when they get older, they won't depart. I think the word there is talking about a groove. You know, it's almost like mm. a record track. You know how record tracks on the old vinyl albums, you yeah. know, there's that groove. And that's really what you do to guide them. Yeah. But they have to make those decisions for themselves so many times. And as a parent, you go, oh, yeah. don't make that. But you've got to let them have right. some room, right? Some wiggle room. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you do. We, we were listening to vinyl records last night with my son. Oh, <laughs> were you really? Yeah, yeah so it's, it's very appropriate. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, okay, so tell me about your most exciting kayaking experience. You like the ocean kayak? Yeah, 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 I love that. Um, probably most exciting is uh, when I fell out – 
of the kayak, <laughs> and we were near a sandbar, kind of far out uh, in the Gulf. And I, I nearly broke my wrist jumping back in there so fast because of sharks or whatever. You know, were there sharks? <laughs> well, we thought there were, so I think we that was that's probably the most exciting. Um, but uh, but no, I've kayaked out in uh, North Carolina too, Oak Island. We go out there a lot. Kite with some dolphins right around. That's oh. so just, it's a magical thing to be in. When you're in the water with dolphins, you know, we lived on the island of Guam. I was snorkeling with about a pod of about 26. They call spinner dolphins. They're the smaller dolphins. Yeah. And they like to come up and spin stuff. If there's a leaf in the water, they'll come up and spin it on their nose, you know. They're fun animals. Yeah. But they had a couple of calves or babies in their pod, so they, they're being protective, you know, they couldn't yeah, get too yeah. close. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy now diving uh, a little bit. Do you scuba dive? Yeah, we do. Um, We we go to the Virgin Islands now a little bit just to uh, scuba dive and enjoy the ocean. Just always have loved the ocean. Oh, we of course, being there for three years, I got certified to dive open water, then advanced diving. And one of the fun things, too, is to strap a tank on the back of a kayak, go out over the reef and find a place, and just you're right there. It was so much fun. Uh, That is cool. Yeah, you'll have to try that next time you go. At 18 years old, Ken, your journey of being a disciple of Jesus Christ began. Yeah. I know you were raised in California, or you grew up in California, yeah. or born in California at born, least. Born, yeah. What were the circumstances that led you to Christ? Well, we were on Air Force bases all the time, so, and my parents really didn't agree on church. They were just kind of diverse on that and uh, decided not to go at all. And uh, So I had a couple of church experiences where I wanted to be a Christian. Like I loved the music and I loved who I thought Jesus was, but there weren't many Christians I I knew, you know, to follow. It seemed like people didn't really do what they talked about. But when I got to Memphis, uh, I came to Rhodes and immediately started studying. You know, this was quote you know Christian school, you know, and I was like, okay, well. Not sure how Christian this is. I mean, this was a school that Dr. J. Vernon McGee went to. You know? Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? I, did, I didn't remember that. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. It, you know, well, in the, uh, in the time I was there in the 80s, there was very open interpretation to the Bible. So I, it really struck me I had to go one way or the other. I really had to go in and have faith in who Jesus was. A friend of mine kind of walked me through this as a college freshman. Um, either depend upon my over developed sense of self-importance and pride in intellectualism and philosophy and all that, or give my life to Jesus and, and just step out in faith. And I've, I'm so glad I did. I didn't know much about the church or any of the stuff that you do. You know, but. that's interesting because there is a, a large number of millennial age, especially, that go to college having grown up in church and having been churched, right. you know, and then they go to the college and some of them become atheists. There's a growing number yeah. of those who grew up in the church, go off to college, and they're atheists today. But that there was something. Thankful you had this friend. Yes. Yeah, that was saving grace for me because everybody in the dorm was, you know, believe in this chair, believe in whatever you want, do do whatever you want. And uh, I was, you know, stuck at a point of I have, I knew I had to decide. I knew I wasn't enough which is good yeah to realize early enough there were no examples around just the you know couple people and she was a friend that just told me to take a step of faith and been great i've been loving the local church ever since and i started a college to keep college kids from turning <laughs> you know because i thought man this is it is a huge thing still to this day you know? and you're still taking steps of faith yes oh yeah. man for sure <laughs> it's a continual thing so your first job was a junior lifeguard at Green Acres Junior High School <laughs> swimming pool in yeah. Boyser City, Louisiana. Did you save any lives? 
No, I mostly scrubbed tiles and, <laughs> you know, filled the pool and listened to music. And yeah, I don't think I ever saved any lives. I still do some of the swimming techniques, though, to this day. That's funny. So you are an Air Force kid. Was that part of yeah. your dad's travels when you were in Louisiana? Uh, yes, that's the last Air Force base we were at when uh, my parents divorced when I was kind of right before high school. That's where we ended up staying, and he moved on to more assignments and that okay. kind of thing. So you have but, friends still down there? Still do, yeah. My very best friend, Travis Jordan, is still in Shreveport. Or he's in Bossier City. Hurricane Ida just came that way. Is family okay there? Yes. Uh, my brother lives there, too, and he said, we got some light rain. Because it is really, it's, it's pretend Louisiana. It's really East Texas up <laughs> yeah. there. It's very close to... <laughs> they barely got anything more than Memphis, you yeah. know, just very little sprinkle. The dear yeah. folks in New Orleans, I've been looking yes. at some of the footage. Our prayers go out to those folks. Definitely. Especially yeah. after Katrina and seeing what they're facing right now. Okay, you completed your Ph.D. in religion and society from Oxford Graduate School in Dayton, Tennessee. Yes. Are they a connection with Oxford, England? They were casually related in, like, they would sh- go to Oxford and work in the Bodleian uh, Library and sort of the, the methods of the Oxford school, but they're not related. So why religion and society is a doctorate major instead of maybe an administrator or something as being a leader of a college yeah, campus? that's a good question. It, I had done a master's in music, you know, and so I had a degree in production and then audio production and then classical music. And then the the model at Oxford Graduate School was ministry leaders, how what we do and the things we create, because I you know created this college, how those things affect society through our Christian beliefs. So it's a Christian school that would help you do social research to show the impact of all these entrepreneurial things that people do outside the church. Yeah. It's sort of like instead of an MDiv for a pastor, I'm, I'm the other guy in the church that's creating – opportunities for Christian ministries. That's what... And what was your thesis? Well, it was, does this work, what Visible Music College is for the integration of spiritual, professional, and academic training? Yeah. And and why does it work? And is it effective? Ultimately, the thesis was long-term, the well-being of Christian artists and creatives will be better based on having these three pillars of training. And I think you've seen really over time, the proof is in the pudding, really. Yeah, it does seem like it. If you just ultimately, it's it's ultimately discipleship, which is great because that's what we focus on first. That's the longest predictor in my research of people's sense of well-being and purpose. They, they need the word. Yes. And, Let's talk about discipleship a minute. And I'm wondering if the church today doesn't have maybe a skewed definition of what that is, really what discipleship is, you know? Yeah. People do think, well, I believe that the church feels like that's like a, you know, for the few and they have to be one-to-one and very serious programs and this whole, like, very regimented thing. I think that's what people think of when they hear that. But really, discipleship happens just by you leading your life as Christ would have you lead it. I think we actually talked about this before we went on is how you uh, impact people by just living your life for God yeah. and being, I'm not a preacher, yet I spoke yesterday in our worship time. You know, I ask questions, and I'm like, are you going to give your life today, this minute while we worship, are you going to give that part of your life to Jesus? That's discipleship yes. to the hundred yes. people that were in the room. Yeah. Now, in, in that word that we draw to from Matthew where it says, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but the original talks about as you're going. And it's, right. it's exactly what you're talking about exactly. as you're yep. doing life, not necessarily as a preacher or a pastor, mm-hmm. but wherever God has you, 
that you are a disciple, being discipled and discipling others. Okay, one of the best uh, business decisions for you was moving the college to downtown Memphis from the historic Cafe Lakeland. Uh, <laughs> how were you able to purchase the Bank of America building <laughs> overlooking Redbird Stadium in downtown Memphis? Well, God provided somebody who met one of our students who uh, saw the fruit of the school and what we were doing with young creatives and said, literally on the phone, I had never met them. Like, we want to give you $3 million. If you will raise $3 million, we will match it dollar for dollar, and you can buy and renovate this building downtown, which was my favorite mid-century modern, very cool concrete triangle building. And um, I was all in. I had no idea how to actually raise the $3 million, you know, but we began <laughs> raising $50 from my 11-year-old son. He was the first donor. So it was just like, okay, we're going to do this, and it's going to be matched. And it was an amazing journey for me to get out of the ministry cycle every day and get out and meet people and yeah. ask for money and support and just be faithful with what little things we had well, at that time. It's a great story. I was there the night at Cafe Lakeland, and we're going to talk a little bit about your venture with Skillet and some of your music career, but I was there at a concert with my boys, brought them there to see that concert, and that was the last concert that you performed with Skillet here in town, I know, Yeah. and you put your guitar down, and you got everybody's attention and said, this is what God's leading me to do, and you presented your vision. Hmm. Never will forget that, you know, and that was the beginning. I was there. And then that's why it blows my mind and such a praise to see what God has done because of your walk of faith, putting that guitar down to take a step away from what you were very successful in doing. Yeah, I think so. And you look at the career of Skillet today and could have been part of that train wagon, but God had other plans. And actually, you're able to multiply what you're talking about, disciple. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's really it really was beautiful in its inception around Skillet, how it started with our pastor, Rick Miller, and how... Um, just getting that together. And can we stop there? Tell me how you met Rick and okay. how you two clicked. Well, uh, strangely enough, he was business partners with a guy I knew from church, from the church I used to attend. And I had just moved back to Memphis. I, w- I was planting a church in Mississippi and down in Jackson for a little while. And I moved back, and I had just given up my job at FedEx because of that, because I decided to move back. I was needing a job, so I went to work for Rick and his partner. And that's how I met him as my co-boss, co-owner of the company. And I was in a down place in my life, and I was going to finish my master's and leave Memphis. But Rick just rode around with me. We were doing low-voltage wiring and alarm systems and stuff like that. He said, well, why don't you you run sound? You know, I had the degree, and I knew how to run sound. He said, why don't you run sound for this club in the basement of our church on Highland? It's like, okay, I can run sound. And And that was Club 4. 704 B. 704 B. Okay, I knew there was some numbers there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 704 B back in the old Covenant Community Church. And we had every Christian band touring anywhere, any kind of band. They were in that little room, and I was running sound, playing in a band as well. I started playing in, in different like Christian bands. And uh, it was an amazing scene. People who are now around 40, they were 15, you know, <laughs> 13, whatever. They were coming out. If the parents would let them come into Memphis, you know, they were down on Highland uh, watching Christian bands in that basement. And that's where Skillet started. That's where I met Rick, you know, making that club happen. And then he helped, uh, you know, he convinced me and John to start Skillet. That was the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Were there some others, Ken, that were influential in your life at that time? 
as well as Rick that really encouraged you? Yeah, yeah, I'd say um, there was this, this was a, it was a new church to me as well because I was just back in town, so I started going to Covenant Community Church. Uh, Pastor Steve Noblet, who's now at Christ Community and, and works with you know uh, medical field m- discipling doctors and that kind of thing here in Memphis. Uh, he was a big influence, and a guy named Alan Scotland that was part of that whole group. Just the first guys to kind of say, hey, would you like your life to look like what you're singing about? Which was offensive, but fantastic. Like, yes, let, let me let me journey with you. The first guys who said, you're you're a man. You, you can make these decisions. Like, you're an adult. You're not just, you know, the guitar player on stage. And I was starting to write music and be a worship leader. Those are the guys that burst me out of my sort of, you know, shell a little bit. We need so desperately people like that. I think the scripture, even through Paul talking about Timothy and those relationships, we need to have Pauls and we need to have Timothys that can sharpen each other and encourage each other and be there even when there's the doubts and the fears and all the things that we face as human. When you say, when you say, I was 27, something like that, 28, and I just needed somebody. My dad had left early in my life. and I needed somebody to say, hey, it's time you step up and do these things and follow through. And I remember Charlie Lawing of Memphis Sound Lab, who's still here with Strings of Things at the time. He was a big influence on me. He's still an amazing Charlie. guy. Charlie's amazing. <laughs> My son works for him now. Does he which really? is so cool, you know, 30 years later from me working for him. And so it's just people like that who are, you know, when you're a business owner, you're, you feel like you don't have an influence, you're in your 40s or 50s and you're just working. You run into those 20-somethings and just let them know to step out and serve the Lord. Yeah. You stated in the past that one of the most important lessons learned was expecting the best things out of the best. How have you seen that lesson practically played out in the life of Visible Music College? Um, I think it's taking all the the students that you see come in that are, at this point, pretty anxious and prone to depression and sort of this, this world has changed the, the young people at this point. And, and you're working with people who are not sure of themselves, not sure of the world, and a lot of brokenness. And just expecting, not like excellence, driving, you know, striving, but like God's gift in them to blossom if you water it mm-hmm. and and give them a picture of what it will look like if they're fully themselves alive in Christ. So I see that all the time. So it could be just the girl who's now running sound at Christ Methodist Church or where it's they don't have to be big stars. They just have to be successful human beings, Christians, you know, that are loving the Lord. And and I guess for you, that transformation from the time they come in as a freshman until they graduate, got to be... <laughs> it's amazing. You actually forget after two years, you think, how long have you been here? Like, you're just a so different person. That, it's the beauty of doing college ministry is they really grow up during that time. And if they're in a Christian community like Visible's based on, you just, you can't get away from that growth because we're all growing. I'm growing every yeah, year yeah. as I meet young people. I'm growing again. And uh, it's an amazing community to be in. One of your greatest passions, you've said, is Christian disciplines. Tell me how you daily pursue that passion, and what Christian disciplines have you had the most challenge with? Um, I think uh, probably the most challenge is I've not ever studied theology. You know, so I've got my theology from reading the Bible again, and I would tell everybody, read the Bible straight through from the beginning, maybe even the chronological do it every year. I don't do it every year, but every two or three years I'll read again from the beginning. Yeah. And doing a lot of, you know, so I, I have a wide 
wide range understanding of the word, but I don't. I've never studied theology, so that's probably a discipline I could do. Um, the other thing is being creative, um, spending time in quiet before the Lord. Um, of course, having prayer time and and praying, trusting God in prayer before uh, each day. You know, um, that's a definitely a discipline. I've done pretty well fasting. I, I really love sort of that. I'm a little bit like an aesthetic guy, like I think is what you call it. like. I like being beating my body and making it, you know, the discipline, like, yeah. discipline in that way. Do you go away so, for like uh, 40 days on a mountain somewhere? Or? Well, not quite there, but I'll see, you know secretly be like, hey, 21 days in, and you know, people are they don't know, but I'm just like that. That draws me to God is really being depriving myself. So I love that, and um, but as far as the study, I found that I've. I'm sort of a starter and busy and visionary. I do more active, creative stuff than like the real research and deep down study. I could I could do better on that probably. Paperwork is really not your thing. I mean, of course, not really. You are president, you know, a visible music college. Yeah. Paperwork is a necessity. <laughs> there are yes. times you have to do that. So, how do you best stay organized in that area? Well, I, I spreadsheets. I think in spreadsheets, it's really funny because if I I. I can't just keep documents going. I have to have little squares and cubes and lines and columns, and then I can just return and instantly jump back in. It's like the, a fretboard. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I can, I'm, I'm figuring out the system of that squares, you know. And and I have a lot of great people around me. I hire people that are that are way better than I am on all these things. What have you seen, Ken, to be the shift in the way worship music is led today compared to when you began leading worship in church? Uh, I think you know. I started really on teams in the 80s and then sort of leading in the 90s. I was writing a lot of music. I was in a church that allowed us to write a lot of our music, and it was a very creative space. Um, I'd say that was unusual even then, but it's very unusual now that there's just so much content created by record labels and and big streams of churches that just push out all new worship songs, and they're all on the radio, and it's taken over Christian music. It's all worship. So... In one sense, that's amazing. You know, like we have so much worship music. On in another sense, it's uh, it's the revelation of those ten writers that are on the charts and and pushing out through major churches. And uh, so I think it's it's maybe changed a little bit. It's better sounding music. Everybody has you know in ear monitors and click tracks and all this stuff. And the small churches even have like better sound. But uh, I'm not sure we've achieved much in the way of like the creative revelation of the people in the congregation where I'm like I'm going to be the creative guy and say that like I wish there was more expression locally that wasn't same same I totally understand and two as you talk about that other peg discipleship that you implement into Visible Music College uh, that aspect is so critical because those on stage in worship aren't performers Right. They're helping you connect with God through worship, through music, and mm-hmm. that's such an important aspect of that. Yeah, it is, and it's um, the more organic that – I sound more like an old guy the longer I talk about, like, okay, what about the real guitars and the real sounds? And you know, But I do mean that it's, it is more organic if you give you – know, the timer of the service is not cutting down, like, okay, let's all listen to God right now. Okay, we're done. You know, yeah, uh, three seconds. Uh, it, I just like that more space. You know, I think we could do better there, but um, maybe the business of the church and the and the the quality of the service is better. But I'm not sure we got that real quality, the real depth yeah. of touching God. And 
Yeah, so our students are they're not performers, they're listening to God for themselves, the drummer, the keyboardist, everybody. So the first time you met Trey McClurkin and John Cooper, was that at Covenant Community Church? Yes. Did you know you each were musicians? How did you meet? Well, we John and I ran into each other because he was uh, he was young, much younger than me, and he was uh, doing bands. He was he was playing at seven hundred four B, and I was the sound guy. And then I had a band, and we both we knew each other enough to where we made a record together with our bands, like a, yeah. a double record, double band record, which was interesting. <laughs> and then um, we went on tour, even uh, as two next bands we were in, sort of a punk band and a funk band. And I played guitar on tour for his band, so we were just like a very we were we were pretty tight on like friends in the local scene. Uh, Trey, we didn't know played drums at all. He had sort of given it up and was about to move back to Arkansas and all that when Rick introduced us to him. He was like, oh, you play drums, and he's like, well, I do, I do now. Let's get together. <laughs> Rick says you I know. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rick said he still I still play, so I dusted him off, and you know. It was cool. He, we were all we were all three leaders, and that was the the unique thing about the band. Um, the difficult part about the band, probably, we didn't know each other a long time. We were all three leaders, and we, were, but there was a strong enough vision. You gave each other space. Yeah, yeah. we did. We did. Yeah. And, you know, we and we we learned a lot. You learn a lot on the road together. It's like you know being a family. I was newly married. John was newly married. So we and then we had a one year old on the road. I mean, it was it was kind of crazy. <laughs> But uh, definitely a defining moment, and and uh, you will never forget each other. It's been just love those guys. Wow! Again, our time is wrapping up on this show. Is there any possibility you could hang around and do a second show with me? Yeah, sure. There's so much more I'd like to talk about. We just really started getting uh, yeah, to where yeah. I want to go. There's a lot more I want to talk about. But before we say goodbye, those listening who want to know more about Visible Music College, yeah. how can they discover programs and what's available for them? Yeah, the first place to go is probably visible.edu. We are an accredited college that trains musicians, producers, managers, video people, pastoral folks for church. And one year, three year bachelor's, master's degree. We're really we're an accredited college right here in Memphis, and uh, we'd love to meet. We love the local church. Okay. Uh, so visible.edu, or um, that that's really the, probably the best place you can reach me, Ken at visible.edu. And you could come down for a tour too, right? Sure. Yeah, we're down at 200 Madison Avenue. Um, we were right across from uh, AutoZone Park on Madison, downtown, 381-3939. Put a 901 in front of it? Yes, 901. Yes, 901, <laughs> 381-3939. But please come visit us or, or just email me, Ken, at visible.edu. That's great. Well, friend, we're going to pick it up next time with Ken Stortz, the president and founder of Visible Music College, right here on Mid-South Viewpoint. Hope you'll join us. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.